What is up, world? We're back here again with another episode of The Sensory Corner, a podcast surrounding all things sensory, parenting, and occupation-related. My name is Mark. I'll be your host for today, and this podcast is being brought to you by Senso Minds. Uh, <laughs> uh, to be honest with you, I think today's episode is seven episodes overdue. Look, we're, look, folks, we're, we're called The Sensory Corner. Uh, this podcast is being brought to you by Senso Minds. Keyword in there, Senso, Sensory. You think we would have touched upon the subject matter, and if you haven't already guessed, we're going to be talking about what is sensory processing disorder? Woo, yeah, I caved. <laughs> no, the reason why we're talking about it right now, or the reason why we haven't touched upon it in earlier stages, is simply because I feel like there's enough resources out there which cover this subject matter already. There's enough podcasts, enough blog posts, and even Instagram and Pinterest posts which cover what exactly is SPD. However, after getting in touch with you guys, the parents, and more so connecting with the community in general, I realize there's a lot of misconceptions and conflicting views within the SPD space, which I want to be able to demystify. So to help us out with today's conversation, we brought on a very close member of the Sense of Minds Ambassador family. She's an early intervention occupational therapist from Pennsylvania, and she specializes in sensory integration. Her name is Olivia Chang. You can find her on Instagram, by the way, that's OT underscore live, just a little shameless plug. And on today's episode... We're going to be talking what exactly is SPD, but we're not going to spend 45 minutes on what SPD is and how is it defined. We're going to be going over tangible red flags you parents can keep an eye out for within your children such that you can consult with an OT earlier on in their development. Also, how can you create a much more well-rounded sensory diet for your child so that they can learn, grow, and develop properly? And also, give you guys a better understanding as to what the consequences are if your child does not get the sensory stimulation they need. Anyways, that's enough for me. My name is Mark. This is The Sensory Corner. Let's get into it. Like the two biggest things um, that we mention when we talk about sensory processing, it's, it's using all of our senses. And I mm. mentioned before, mm-hmm. we, you know, people know of five senses. You know, your hearing, your taste, yes. your sight. Um, what did I not say? Touch. <laughs> Touch, yes. Tactile. Yeah. Um, but like the other two systems that people don't know about are the proprioception and the vestibular system. Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. Even, like, the, there's a new a new buzzword out there called interoception. That's, like, the eighth sense. So now there there's eight senses of your body. And what that's the heck? The, yeah. <laughs> I thought it was yeah. only seven. Oh, my gosh. Okay. Yeah, there's, <laughs> interoception is the newest player in the <laughs> bodily systems. I think it's really important for all of us to understand, like, all of those, you know, they work throughout the day yeah. to help you get through your day. And for people who are neurotypical, like, your brain is supposed to be self-organizing like things you can filter out certain stimuli you can pay attention to certain things but for kids who just don't who are not who are not neurotypical it's just harder for them to filter out that information and that's that's where a lot of those behaviors do come in because can you imagine just like being overstimulated every every second of your life Mm. noises Mm -hmm. are too loud lights are too bright things are too like they make your skin not feel good Definitely. Um, it's I think like, it's just like that's kind of the piece I always tell parents to focus on. It's just like how we get, you know, through our day to day lives being okay. But for children who have sensory processing difficulties, it's it's really hard for them. No, for and sure. We just have to be mindful. <clears throat> yeah. It you know, it, I think you brought up a few good points there. It's the fact that our senses exist for the sole reason and purpose of trying to help us explore the world, you know, being able to navigate it in not only a safe, but like, uh, yeah, safe in a self-preserving way. You know, if I touch something hot, my nerve endings are going to tell me, wait, that's hot, pull your hand away. Right. That's, mm-hmm. you know, and like, that's, that's a protectionary measure. So when these things are kind of out of whack for a child of whom may not be neurotypical, um, 
sometimes, you know, it, it not sometimes, but it, it's understandable to see where meltdowns and, you know, not temper tantrums, mm-hmm. but sensory meltdowns can really come, come to light and like yeah. really occur. Yeah, because for them, it's like it's a whole flight or fright, fight. Well, flight, fight or fright response. Oh, you know, they're okay. always feeling very. If they just don't feel safe in their environments, of course, the sensory meltdowns will happen because they just don't feel safe. Everything is too much, too loud. Definitely. You know, just yeah. Yeah. That, see that like that one really sticks out to me just because when your sensory processes aren't working well, I'm like, correct me if I'm wrong, but this is what I've heard from other individuals. It's the fact that you're not modulating that input. You know, if you hear something, it's not me, your sensory processes aren't working up to par. It's not being modulated. So, you know, a whisper in your ear could come off as like somebody yelling into your ear. So now you're going to have a totally inappropriate quote unquote response to something which actually wasn't that severe to begin with, but because you're interpreting it differently, you're going to you're going to react with an appropriate response in your own head, which might not be acceptable or whatever it may be. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. Could, could you possibly explain what vestibular proprioceptive and interoception are though? Like just for all the parents <laughs> listening in, because you know, they, they yeah. are the hidden ones. So people are like, Oh, what the heck? I only thought. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's a, that's a really common thing that we hear from parents. So vestibular mm-hmm. and um, just like the most simple way, it's just how your body responds to balance and movement and just like knowing what direction your body is moving in. Mm, um, mm-hmm. So that has to do with your inner ears and all like the whole balance systems of your body. Um, oh, yeah, yeah. Your yeah. equilibrium and stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Just like a good example I like to give is like if you're in an elevator, then you can kind of sense if you're going up or down in an elevator without really seeing, you know, how the elevator shaft is moving. Mm-hmm. But you like know whether you're going up or down. And that's your vestibular system working. <laughs> Interesting. Okay. I never really thought of that. You know, you get like that kind of shift in your stomach. You're like, oh, what was that? Like, yeah. And then your body knows like, oh, I'm going up or down. But for kids who don't have that, it's, it's really hard for them to tell. Okay. So that's that, vestibular, you said? That's vestibular. Yeah. Balance, vestibular. movement. Yeah. And what direction your body is moving in. Okay. And um, proprioceptive. Proprioceptive is more, it's more. Um, so it's like, it's how your joints and your muscles, um, like how, like the sensation of your muscles and your joints to know where you are in space. So that goes, yeah, a lot with like body awareness and kids who crash into everything and kids who just seem very <laughs> clumsy a lot of the times, you know, it, it has to do with their proprioception. Um, and I, I heard, I learned a really good analogy from one of the trainings I went to. They were saying how your proprioception, it's like the, it's like the, you are here dot on the map and the, on a mall map. <laughs> like it's how your body knows where you are in space. I think that was a really good analogy for parents to understand. Like what is that system in your body? Um, oh. and yeah, it also helps with personal space. The kids who get really, really close to you <laughs> and they just don't understand that personal space that has to do with proprioception or just how much force they're using. Like kids who break pencils, they break crayons. They just don't know how hard they are pressing down on it. Um, and wow. that really, that's all the receptors in your body, just learning, like just oh, an awareness of your body in the simplest. Interesting. Mm-hmm. Huh. And then like the last one you said was interoception, correct? Or, oh, sorry. Interoception. Interoception. Um, that's, that's the newest one. Intero, okay. yeah, like I-N-T-E-R-O. It's all about ah, internal okay. body sensations. So like the feeling of hunger, the feeling of thirst, the feeling of having to go to the bathroom. And those are all internal sensations that some kids have a lot of trouble with. And I think 
that's why it's potty training is one of the biggest <laughs> the biggest challenges for a lot of parents especially mm-hmm. parents of kids with special needs because they just don't they might not be registered that they have to go to the bathroom they don't feel that sensation or kids who might oh. be having a temper tantrum or a meltdown and they might be thirsty but they don't know that they're thirsty they just know that something's not feeling right and they can't quite articulate what's going on um and that has to do with that that sense, this uh, interoception. Hmm. You know, sometimes I feel like I might need to work on that myself just because I'll be grumpy throughout the day and I'll be like, wait, I haven't drank water. Yes. <laughs> and it's already 8 p.m. at night. I'm like, what have I been drinking? Oh I'll look gosh. at like all the coffee cups on my table. I'm like, oh my gosh, this is yeah. pretty bad. <laughs> yeah, that's all your body's internal sensations. Yeah. And that's what you guys, OTs, are really faced with to be able to help develop these processes within the child. Mm-hmm. Man, bless your souls. Oh, my gosh. It's all, the, feel... it's all the invisible <laughs> things that we can't see sometimes. You know, wow. It's straightforward. It's like, why can't my child tie their shoes? It's like, <laughs> it's always like the goal is the functional part, obviously. But there's a lot of underlying things that we need to that we need to address that might not always be so apparent. Like, why is my kid tripping and falling so much? And that, Definitely. you know, it's, the, yeah. <laughs> wow. So you're always digging deeper. You're trying to find the foundational issues Mm -hmm. towards why a child can't finish a certain occupation or, you know, be a bit more functional within their lives or gain that agency. You're always trying to see, oh, how is this, like, what's this trickling down from, you know? Right. Okay. That's where we like to do activity analysis. That's like the, Mm -hmm. that's what like to do. You kind of, (laughs) you kind of work your way down. Like, I know like this is the skill you want to achieve, but we have to take a step back and see like, why, why is it hard for this child to do it? So it's always dissecting dissecting the issue and stepping back and just kind of addressing those underlying things. No, of course. A quick question. Can you like, can, can you control that? Like, can you ever like turn that like switch off in your head, like to stop analyzing people and their (laughs) actions or not? It's hard. Yeah. (laughs) My friends are trying to be all the time. Yeah. (laughs) Analyzing everything. Oh my God. No, (laughs) it's the truth though. I was talking to another OT on a zoom call and at the end of it she was like yeah you're slouching a lot you know your your shoulders were hunched over you're leaning to the side like maybe you might have some you know, I was like what I didn't even notice any of this stuff I was so self-conscious yeah. after that phone call I was like trying to roll my shoulders back sit up straight that's funny I don't I don't recognize I don't see it right now but you're also half off the screen yeah <laughs> So you're faced with a lot and you really do have to break down every single process and see how it ties into other things. So it's a very tall task to ask of you. Um, so with, despite all of the, like, despite all that input you're receiving when you're analyzing a, a child, um, whether their sensory processes are out of whack or if there's something else behind it all, um, on the topic of sensory processing, like what are some red flags you kind of look out for, for you to be able to label it as sensory processing issues for that child? So, I mean, a big one is that they have unusually high or low pain threshold. Like if they okay. are, they just don't understand that they're um, touching a hot pan and it's not registering that it's a hot pan, that's a big red flag for sensory processing. Or on the flip side, if, they, um, if they're sensitive to touch, that's also a big mm. sensory processing red flag too. Um, mm-hmm. Or if they're touching everything, if um, certain clothes make them itchy, it's not comfortable, dressing in the morning causes a lot of temper tantrums, um, that's also a huge red flag. Um, kids who are constantly moving, the kids who can't sit still, and they just seem to be 
just bouncing off the walls a lot of times that there is an underlying sensory processing component to that. Um, Interesting. Or aversion to sound. So they cover their ears a lot. They complain that lights are too bright. Um, <laughs> the, if there's uh, meltdowns in the stores a lot, a lot of times that's a huge red flag as well. Yes. It's just too yeah. much for them to process. I um, mean, even like a hard time transitioning too. Like for How so? Transitioning from like a task from something that they really want to do to something that they is not as preferred. Mm -hmm. um, sometimes there is a sensory component to it and it's all about that. Comes back down to that control piece that a lot of children are seeking because they just don't uh, feel like they are in control because their bodies are in a constant that flight, fright, or fight response. You know, it's not yeah. a safe environment for them. So I think for kids like that, a lot of times they do want to be in control. And that sometimes mm -hmm. can be labeled as bad behaviors. Yeah. I've, I've heard that a lot, you know, trying to create like a visual schedule for the child or at least right. giving them a heads up if they're at that level of communication. Just so. Mm -hmm. Timers are, they work wonderfully. Really? <laughs> Timers and verbal countdowns. Yeah, I just did it with another child this morning. Just even something simple like five more seconds, and you just do five, four, three, two, one, so that they know what's coming. And it's very, is that enough? You know. Five seconds? Is that enough for a kid? <laughs> no, I mean, I, that was yeah. an example. Five oh, okay. is not enough for just, I'll use it <laughs> a minute, and then 30 seconds left, 10 seconds, and then five, and I just do like the countdown just so it's giving them a visual, letting, letting them know what's happening, what's coming up. Wow. Okay. Yeah. I love that strategy. You know, it, it's super simple for anybody to kind of implement and it really does make a world of a difference because that can be the difference between a meltdown or, you know, the child probably being disgruntled, but they were able to transition, as you said. Into yeah, the next exactly. Task. They know what's yeah. coming. So they have some time to prepare. Cause I, I see a lot, a lot of the parents I work with, sometimes it's like they're enjoying something a lot. All of a sudden it's like, okay, time to clean up, like no warning at all. You might yeah. know in your own head that it's time to clean up, but the child has no idea this is coming. Definitely. And I think a lot of times that just creates a lot of behaviors. Yeah. I don't know. Like the way I'm kind of relating to that in my head. So when I was in university, imagine if you were doing an exam and you didn't know when the exam ended. <laughs> oh so gosh, you're, you're, yeah. you're under high stress. You're doing all of it. And then out of nowhere, invigilator rips away your sheet. And it's like, that's yeah, it. Exactly. That's... <laughs> <laughs> and I think sometimes parents and even us as practitioners forget sometimes, you know, when mm -hmm. the child is playing, they're so into it. And if they have no warning mm -hmm. what's coming, of course it's upsetting. But a lot of, you know, parents are like, oh, why are you crying? You know, get over it. No. <laughs> just, you know, we're just moving on to the next thing. Yeah, it's not that simple, though. Oh, gosh. I just had, no, like, flashbacks of university. <laughs> no. <laughs> But cool. So as so to kind of recap, like over those red flags, parents can keep an eye out for. Um, these are like, this isn't everything, but these are like the high level ones, which, you know, can be most apparent. So it's like tactile aversions, you know, uh, whether it, they're, they're touching a bunch of things, as you said, or maybe their, their clothing is too irritating uh, for their liking. Uh, they're going into a store if there's like bright lights or if they're covering their ears, like these are the main things which you see within the field. Are there any other common ones in which you could possibly alert parents of so that they can better prepare themselves to see whether or not their child yeah. has sensor processing? Yeah, I mean, I think it's all, it's always nice to break it down to like hypersensitive and hyposensitive because they're completely opposites. Like we were talking ah. about kids who like don't like clothes and they're averse to that. Yeah. They don't like clothes and they don't like to get their hands messy. Um, that's different than someone who's touching everything <laughs> and they're seeking yes. that input. So that's there. There's always like two kind of on the spectrum, like two poles, kids yeah. who just want to touch everything and kids who just don't want to touch anything at all. 
Interesting. Um, and same with like jumping and crashing. Kids were very active and they're seeking that movement. Those were kids who um, just crave and seek out that movement. And then mm-hmm. there's other kids who want to avoid the movement. They don't like where their feet leaves the ground. Mm. Um, and I've had kids who just swings are no go for them. Slides they're really <laughs> afraid of. <It's>, yeah. <laughs> um, they just don't feel, it's called gravitational insecurity. So um, oh. anytime their feet leaves the ground or if it's an uneven surface, they get very guarded. And it's very alarming for them because their body just, it goes back to that proprioception and the vestibular piece that it just, it's just not processing it. Oh, right. definitely. It's very threatening yeah. to them. So, yeah. Yeah. And even when you explain it that way, I know some parents might be listening to it and they might be like, it's not that big of a deal. But if you really think about it to them, it might feel like that their child might be in free fall or they're just falling. You know, those dreams where you're just like falling. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like I have those, obviously like that's a gross exaggeration of what we're talking about, but it's kind of the same, same idea. Like that's, that's what your child kind of feels inside. It's the fact that they're getting that fight yeah. or flight or fright response because they, they can't yeah, regulate the that physiological input. like you see their breathing increases or heart rate increases they get sweaty it's a very it's a true fear response and we can't wow um you know we can't discredit that it's it's yeah. truly that their bodies are really fearful definitely yeah definitely yeah. i was just wondering then actually before i jump into the next question i, I know that it's really important for you to be able to say both sides of you know both sides of the coin like both sides mm-hmm. of the story here because it's very easy to see when a child is doing an action. You know, it's very easy to call out sensory processing because I've seen it not only in content on Pinterest and Instagram, but it's just the whole idea that if I see my child touching everything or covering their ears or, you know, you know, like closing their eyes because the uh, lights are way too bright, it's easy to call that out. But when a child's not doing a certain action, it's not as a parent. Yeah, and I think that's what some of those kids get labeled as lazy or they're just disinterested, but that's not the real story. It's that they're they're biased, they're being a bystander because they're hesitant to engage in the activity. Mm -hmm. Definitely. And okay, so going into the next question, then you said something about hyperactive and hypo. So that's H Y P O for all the people listening. Is that the same as overreactive and underreactive? Are those just like more technical terms or no? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So. Yeah. Hypo. Oh, I'm sorry. Oh no. What were we gonna say? Oh, I was just saying for hyposensitive. What I mean by that is that they're just their body just needs more. They just need more input to even respond to that. Um, what you want them to respond to. Mm-hmm. Um, and hypersensitive, it's it's the opposite, <laughs> where yeah. you know it's it's just too much. Um. It's just too much. Just input yeah. for the child. Or... Yeah, it's just it's just too much input. I think that's where a lot of um, those behaviors do come out because they're just like their body's just over responding. Mm-hmm. That makes sense. Yes, and it kind of goes back to what we were talking about earlier. It's the fact that all behavior is a type of communication for the child. You know what I mean? So if they're reacting in a certain way or if they're exhibiting a certain behavior, it's usually in response to something within their environment, whether it may be sensory or if it's something else. Mm-hmm. It's just a way of them conveying that something has happened and it's afflicting or affecting them in some way or form. Yeah. Mm. Like, I don't know. The engineer in me is kind of clicking in (laughs) because, (laughs) yeah, this probably won't make sense to anybody out there. But usually what we learn, like I'm an electrical engineer. So what, what we learn in school is the fact that how like switches work. I don't know if you, you know, like an on and off switch. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, so if you send enough electricity to a switch, you can sometimes force that switch to turn on. You know what I mean? And if you don't send enough electricity, then the switch will stay off. So how, I, how I'm kind of processing everything you're saying is mm-hmm. for a child of whom might be overreactive, and correct me if I'm wrong, this is just the way I'm interpreting it. If a child's overreactive, you can send in a little bit of electricity and that switch will turn on automatically, even though yeah. it shouldn't. Yeah. Well, on the That's flip side, analogy. yeah. Well, on the flip side, a child might need a lot more electricity than is needed to turn on that switch. Um, mm-hmm. And as a result, you're going to get that, you know, that internal reaction from the child that mm-hmm. may or may not be um, appropriate, depending on whatever they're doing. Yeah. Um, and I think that's that's a really good point. That's why a lot of those hyposensitive kids, like the kids who are just the constant movers, they're seeking that input. It's because they need a lot more. It's the kids who are jumping and crashing into pillows. They're running mm. into walls. They're just like a bull in the china shop. What? <laughs> they're just, they're just <laughs> seeking that constant input. And, and that's just because, like what you're saying, their body needs more of that electricity or that current to turn mm. the switch on. Yes. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Current. That's what I meant. Oh my yeah. gosh. <laughs> Olivia knows more than me guys. <laughs> awesome. So that, that brings in, that brings me to another question that how exactly, you know, do you, do you help these children work through these sensory processing issues? You know, um, is there anything which you can provide them over time? And like, what, like, what is that usually called for the child? Yeah, that, so we call that a sensory diet. Okay. And a lot of parents have the misconception that they think diet is food related. It's not, <laughs> not food related. Um, yeah. I mean, it could be, you could have some foods there for alerting and calming um, mm-hmm. sensations, yes. but in general, it's, it's really just helping the child get into that just right stage um, and yes. just becoming more regulated. Um, so what a sensory diet looks like, it's just that we give a list of activities to help children self-regulate. And it's always carefully, you know, created by an OT and -hmm. just it's based on the needs of the child. Um, So it's very individualized. And it's also a trial and error. There's no one recipe fits all. (laughs) It's it's really what works. And it's the same. Sometimes it works for them one day and it doesn't work for them the the next day. So that's Mm -hmm. why it's 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 just a list of activities that we found successful in sessions. Do you Um, try and ease a child into working on their sensory processing issues so if I'm using the example of a kid of whom is like a bull in a china shop as you say you know what I mean yeah. and they're seeking that vestibular is that right vestibular input it's, I think that's that would be more proprioception proprioception awareness part but this ah, yes. if you're jumping and crashing it's it has to do with the changes in your head position so yes I mean, uh, they're all they're pretty closely related okay yeah you're kind of getting both you can't really isolate a sensory system Definitely not. And I think that's a very important point to make, actually. I think too too many times uh, we try and isolate certain sensory processing issues. And we're like, we're just going to focus on this. But there are actually a lot more other components uh, behind certain actions. Um, But going back to what I was saying with respect to a child of who might have proprioceptive and vestibular um, issues, they're already trying to cope, in a sense, by running into things and jumping into, you know, couch cushions or whatever it may be. That's their way of trying to satisfy their needs. What's right. the difference between their form of trying to satisfy their needs versus what you're trying to prescribe them? And how can you give them a long-term path to success? Because I think that's something which a lot of parents don't really understand. What exactly mm-hmm. separates your activity from what my child's already actively trying to do to satisfy their needs? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, that's a really great question. I think the most important part is to keep that activity structured. 
So uh, it might be that okay. sometimes I do start off a session off a session with a child just crashing into pillows, and then mm-hmm. I'll, and then I'll change the activity demand and say, okay, let's do a puzzle while we you know jump, crash into the pillow, get a puzzle piece, put it to the puzzle board. So making it more structures that they're still doing what you want them to do, but you're also giving them that input that they're needing. So mm-hmm. the whole point of it is that they are they are getting the input that they they need, and uh, they're still doing what you need them to do. So the, definitely, it, it's you know it's a it's you're supporting them in in doing uh, the adult directed task. Okay, which is them just jumping and crashing without you know without, without any rhyme or reason. Yeah, yeah. I'm just wondering that. So it kind of goes back to what what you were saying about how all these sensory processing or sensory processes tie in with one another, correct? Mm -hmm. Is it, I don't know if it's safe to say, but can one say that one sensory process can help a child understand or gain a better grasp over another sensory process just because there's that link almost, which Mm -hmm. I guess funnels up to the end action or function of which they're trying to do. Right. And yeah, I mean, that, that is why we do the sensory diet. That's a good point. Um, Mm -hmm just that whole the child who is jumping and crashing they're looking for the input so like a really common thing that we do for those children that we give them something called heavy work and that Uh, is giving their joints and their muscles a lot of input and so that they're learning where their body is in space Mm -hmm. and uh, the goal is that they are doing those activities and they're learning more about their body so that they don't need to do the jumping and the crashing anymore and that's just incorporated into their daily routines okay and see, that's what I love. It's the fact that you're really making it a lot more holistic for the child. And see, I, I guess that's where, where the question's kind of answered there. You, you make the actions a lot more realistic and holistic for the child where it actually applies to their, their day-to-day functions in their life as opposed to a child just jumping and crashing without any right. rhyme or reason. Wow. Yeah. Oh. Yeah, we always tie it back to that functional piece. That's the, the most important part of OT. Mm-hmm. Everything that we do, it, ha- it always has to have a functional purpose. Uh-huh. So no, we're definitely. doing the sensory diet to help them focus and regulate so that they are completing the activities that you want them to do. So they're just not running around the house <laughs> with no oh, demands placed on them. You know, that's no one wants that. No, definitely. And to be quite honest with you, I feel like that's happening a lot more nowadays just because. Especially in quarantine. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I've had a lot of parents tell me like, please tell me more activities to do. I'm just going crazy <laughs> in the house. <laughs> So I just give them a lot of obstacle courses, a lot of heavy work, a lot of just different gross motor activities because kids need that movement. You know, the kids are not, oh, not definitely. built to sit still, which mm-hmm. I think is it's a huge it's a huge issue right now in our society. You know, kids are being forced to sit in classrooms all day mm-hmm. when their bodies are they just need that movement to learn. Definitely. I've heard some schools not giving children recess or PE. Yeah. That's a huge issue. We really don't like that. (laughs) I was like, there's no way that's going on. But some people were telling me that. I was like, that's horrible. Because they're shifting to focus more on standardized testing. And that's, it's terrible. (laughs) That's where a lot of the kids are, you know, we're seeing an increase in all the sedentary sitting is just creating so many issues. Definitely. I'm, I'm surprised they don't see that. You know what I mean? I feel like there's enough studies out there to combat that but that's a different conversation for another yeah, that's podcast totally so, different. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, going back to what you're saying because parents are now stuck in quarantine and their children might be running around uh, what are some ways where you can integrate sensory activities into their lives at home like as an ot of whom works with parents of whom are at their own homes uh, what are some things you want to um, recommend 
Yeah, I mean, I with like that heavy work I was talking about, I just love using household materials that they have readily mm-hmm. available. Like a yeah. really fun activity that, that a lot of my kids love is that they love pushing a laundry basket around, like filled with clothes <laughs> or books. It's just, <laughs> it sounds silly. <laughs> You're laughing, but it's just no. It's so true kids though. Who are yeah crashing and jumping? They just are looking for the input. You give them a lot of heavy work to like mm-hmm. activate those muscles and joints that they're looking for. Mm-hmm. Um, that's a really easy activity. Or if any, a lot of parents have like a yoga ball, like the really mm-hmm. large therapy balls. And there's a lot of cool activities you can do with that as well. A lot of movement activities and a lot of calming activities mm-hmm. as well. Apparently yoga is being proven to, you know, help regulate and modulate one sensory processes. I, I think that's becoming a trend within the OT world. I don't know if it actually is. I, like, I actually did my capstone on that. Are you <laughs> serious? Oh my gosh. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I swear this wasn't planned out, guys. I'm just. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yoga is great. I mean, I do, I love just giving families yoga poses to do because it works on so many different skills. Like that body awareness piece, that proprioceptive piece. Yeah. gross motor aspect the coordination that's just the list goes on definitely it's very, I get winded. very calming yeah i get winded when i do it like downward dog i'm panting <laughs> i'm like yeah, i'm out of just, shape folks yeah no, it works on a lot of like the strengthening piece too so <laughs> it's it's a win-win yeah are, are children usually receptive like have you ever tried using you utilizing yoga oh yeah uh, within your practice <laughs> oh like do the children I mean, do it yeah, they do. I mean, oh, children the love, they love imitating adults. And also <laughs> what you were saying earlier with the down dog, that also gives yeah. a lot of that vestibular pieces. Your head is hanging below. So your head is, you're upside down. Oh, definitely. Yeah. So oh my gosh. You just get so much more input and it's just, yeah, it really does help calm kids or any, another trick is for kids who are just super, you know, fidgety and they can't focus, get them to do a balance <laughs> activity. Then they're really focusing all their energy and their muscles into balancing themselves. Like do tree wow. pose or do mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. Cool. What the heck? That's yeah, so we interesting. I use yoga a lot. I love using yoga in my sessions. It's so easy. You know, it's, you don't really you don't need any equipment. All you need is your body, <laughs> and you just do the poses. And yeah, it's it's great. Awesome. Are, are there any other sensory integration activities you, you'd recommend to parents out there who might be listening to this podcast? Yeah, there's. I mean, you, there's always messy play. That's always a really popular option for a lot of kids yeah. I work with. Um, mm-hmm. And for younger children, like like babies who are still mouthing things, I usually like to do things that are safe to mouth or things that are edible. Like there are edible sensory bins out there, believe it or not. Like actually? taste safe. Yeah. What the heck? Like, wait, wait, I'm actually curious. Like, what's inside of these edible sensory bins? <laughs> I I recommend it to a family I work with um, who's a baby, and he just loves to mouth everything. So yeah. I said, let's just make like a play, like sandbox, sand in quotes. <laughs> so it's just ground up crackers, like ground up cereal, ground up oh, oatmeal. Wow. So it gets a gritty texture, but it's still, they're still getting that messy play sensation with that, you know, that sandy feel. Definitely. You can just put like toys, you just hide toys in there. You can dig it, you can scoop it. You know, I love, it's, yeah, that messy play, it addresses that tactile system. Mm-hmm. But I also love it for fine motor skills too. <laughs> yeah, that's true. That's actually yeah. super interesting. Like uh, that was the first time I've heard about somebody like crushing up graham crackers and cereal because sometimes I'll see videos on my Instagram stories of people creating sensory boxes or sensory bins. I think that's what you call them. Mm-hmm. And it's just like, it. sometimes it's like moon sand or things which aren't edible. And I'll see the kids yeah. slowly bring it up to their mouth. And I'm <laughs> like, I know this child's trying to explore, but why isn't the mom or dad stepping in and telling them to stop? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> sometimes kids- 
kids just have to learn. I've had, I've tried to stop a kid, and it just like I honestly could not stop the child. And he just got like a little a little bit of it was homemade play doh, so it was okay to mouth. But I think he realized, oh, it doesn't taste so good, so I'm just not gonna do it again. <laughs> so I think some kids just need to have that, like, oh, I just want to taste it so badly, and then learn, okay, this is not this is not actually. Like <laughs> yeah, I mean, oh homemade play doh is another great one. Great one that's like. It's taste safe. You know, I wouldn't recommend eating it. It's just <laughs> eating a lot of it. But it's made with, like, flour, salt, like, all edible ingredients. Baking soda, cornstarch. Yeah, I don't think that would taste all too great. <laughs> no, it wouldn't taste great, but it's not toxic. So. Okay. <laughs> I think those are just, like, safe alternatives for younger kids. Um, and then for older kids or kids who won't mouth things, I do use, like, more, like, smaller objects like rice and beans, pasta. Mm-hmm. Um, water beads. I love using water beads, but that's definitely a choking hazard if the yeah. little one wants to, yeah. you know, take a taste. So definitely, those are activities for older kids or, you know, kids who are supervised. <laughs> no, definitely. To be quite honest with you, like I'll look at those things and it'll cross my mind. Obviously, because I'm an adult, I won't do it. But I was like, I wonder what this would taste like. No, don't do it, Mark. Oh, it wouldn't hurt to taste what you know. <laughs> I'm kidding. <laughs> I'm swear I'm not that dumb, folks. But <laughs> um, but anyways, so the to- like going back to <laughs> what we were talking about, I know throughout this podcast you've been bringing up it's kind of come up a few times. It, it hasn't been the the core of the conversation, but behavior versus uh, sensory that that's come up a few times throughout mm-hmm. our conversation. And I just wanted to ask, you know, because everything is linked, you can't necessarily isolate certain aspects of a child's development. Um, from other aspects. So how is sensory processing, um, like how are sensory processing deficits linked to things such as behavior, attention, and focus? Because these are the things which will eventually lead up to a child's ability to execute a certain function or a certain occupation, or just being more independent in general. So like how are those Um, two worlds uh, linked together? Yeah. um, I really think that is, that goes back to how we were talking about just taking a step back and if you go back to behavior theory there's something called like abc i don't know if you know what that means it's Uh, antecedent like what comes before and then Mm -hmm. b is for behavior and c is a consequence so kind of really have to dissect like why is this child having a meltdown why are they upset i'm just kind of taking a step back and just trying to piece together the puzzle like what happened directly before that is causing this child to be upset and I think that then you get really valuable information. Like, is it because um, they were looking, they were looking for, they got in trouble because they wanted to jump off of a couch or <laughs> something yeah. like an access to a preferred item was denied. Like, you know, you kind of have to just take a step back and um, and just see like what is causing that behavior. And uh-huh. a lot of times it's pretty apparent when you kind of, go back, you find patterns and why, like find out why this child is acting that way because like you were saying, it's never in isolation. Definitely not. And I think something which some people might misinterpret when they hear that ABC thing, like this is just something which popped up in my head. So maybe parents won't think this at all. Uh, It's just the whole idea that it doesn't necessarily have to happen right before the behavior aspect, you know? Like all too often I hear from parents and their children, you know, their child might have a meltdown, not midday, not in the evening, but like right before bedtime. And I'll be at, like, I'll ask them like, why, why is that the case? And they'll simply tell me, oh, it's because my child was exposed to fluorescent lighting pretty much the whole day because they were at school. And I said, oh, interesting. 
So it just built up over time, and that's when the child cracked. Um, mm-hmm. But it's hard for parents to understand those patterns and really see them because there's so many other yeah. things happening on in their lives. So I can't really blame anybody, but definitely, yeah. yeah. And that's why we step in and we just help like analyze the situations because we're a third party. We're not there every single day of their lives, you know. And we, Definitely. I think we have that lens where we, we can just dissect an activity and figure out like why is this happening and just troubleshooting from there. Um, <laughs> that's a large task to place on you you guys as OTs within a 45-minute session or even 30-minute <laughs> session to really analyze and then give a, a parent a game plan. Hey, your child might be averse or you know might not react well to this so keep an eye on these patterns I don't know if that's how you actually talk to a parent that's the way I'm kind of breaking it Um, (laughs) I mean we it takes time we definitely build a relationship with the families that we work with yeah um and we as we treat the child we learn like oh they might not like touching certain textures so then a light bulb goes in and we can just be like okay like maybe next session we'll work on some messy play (laughs) and just get the child used to it or a lot of it, like parents do, the parents are the experts of their children. So they yes. know like exactly what is going on. You know, they'll mm-hmm. tell me like, oh, I'm having trouble with X, Y, and Z. Like my child doesn't like bath time, like just say okay. that as an example. And mm-hmm. then you just kind of like, you ask questions and you just kind of observe the mm-hmm. task and see like, what, what are the issues? Why doesn't the child like bath time? And you just kind of go um... backwards a little bit and dissect it and then work on those different components. So it's a very pragmatic and iterative approach, essentially. So you, you get input from the parent, but then you also try and validate certain guesses or hypotheses in your head. It sounds super scientific. It really isn't. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> uh, that's just the way my brain works. Um, but it's continually it's working. hypotheses, yeah. Wow. Okay. But when it comes to things like attention and focus, so not necessarily behavior-based, but just simply attention and focus, like not being able to focus on a certain task, or not being able to focus on a certain individual or, you know, um, does the ABC um, aspect still apply? And are there any other facets of which you'd want to be able to communicate to parents out there listening? Um, yeah, the, the ABC, I think, applies to a lot of different situations in children's daily routines. I think, like, kids who just can't, it goes back to the kid, the, what we were talking about earlier with the kids who yeah. can't sit still. They're, so, they're wiggling in their seats. They're just... Mm-hmm. They just look like they're jumping out of their skin. Yeah. <laughs> a, lot of, a lot of times it's really, it goes back to that sensory processing and they, they just need some kind of movement. Um, like the, I know some schools are implementing more like movement breaks and they just need that. Their body just, yeah. Their yeah. body just needs that movement to really help them recollect, help mm-hmm. them self-regulate again. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I, you get the flip side where kids are, you know, sitting on their desk with their hands, like, with a head on their hand. I'm doing just, that right now. They're, <laughs> they're slouchy. They look disinterested. And those kids, you just they just might need more input. Like those are the kids that um, we call them like low registration. So they just look a little floppy. They just mm-hmm. don't all that. They don't, sometimes they just look um, disengaged. But yeah. the reality is not that they're having, they're not interested in the task, is that they're having trouble focusing and attending. Their body ah. needs a little bit more input um it could be also could go back to like core strength you know they're having trouble sitting up because they're just not strong enough to sit up interesting so so many other aspects tie into it like muscle tone (laughs) wow and there's also some the whole reflex integration piece which is kind of different what we're talking about but that also (laughs) they're all things to look into and consider when a child is having trouble with focus and attention wow okay so 
Uh, something else I want to ask is on the topic of sensory processing deficits for a child, um, how does that affect a child's overall participation in their daily routine? Like, how does that usually manifest when you talk to parents? Because you work with parents on a day to day basis. So you see these patterns. Um, I think this would be a really good thing to talk about just because I, I feel parents out there feel alone, especially in their own experiences, right. especially nowadays when they're not able to communicate to other people, especially an OT or, you know, a special needs team at, at their school about their child's needs. And I, I just want to be able to bring these situations to light almost for all of our listeners. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of the times I work with, like, sometimes like when a kid does have those sensory processing deficits, like dressing just becomes a really challenging task for some uh-huh. of these families because the children, are, they're just so adversive to the certain texture of the clothes. Um, they just, it just really upsets them. It becomes a battle in the morning. And I hear that complaint a lot <laughs> from parents. Um, like <laughs> the example I was talking about earlier with bath time, sometimes that could be a challenge, getting haircuts, like any grooming task could also be really affected. Um, mm-hmm. Going out to stores becomes really, really challenging as well. Like mm-hmm. what we were talking about earlier, just being, it's just too much stimulation. Um, wow. And, oh, and a lot of it, it goes back to feeding. <laughs> I know there yeah. was, you had a feeding podcast yes. recently, yeah. and I think a lot of the sensory processing deficits, it links back to a lot of feeding difficulties. Interesting. Um, and the most simple way to put it, like I like to tell parents, we sometimes parents, like they're so focused on getting the kid to eat. But then sometimes when you step back and you see that the kid doesn't even like getting their hands messy, it kind of, it tells you a lot of information. Like if they don't want to touch it, why would they want to put it in their mouths? You know, Mm -hmm. like kind of making that link. Um, And I think sometimes that is a piece of the missing information that parents don't realize. Yeah. And it, you know, you you brought up a lot of, yeah, we we were just talking about daily routines, but Mm -hmm. those are such huge, I don't want to say milestones, but I don't want to say time sinks either. I don't know what word I'm trying to go for here, but those are just very prominent activities which a child will always be faced with throughout the rest of their life. Grooming, eating, changing, you know, all of those different occupations, obviously. They, that's, yeah, they're all the occupations they, that we address. Yeah, you got yeah, that they're, yeah, they're all the occupations, but especially during that parenting phase, if you don't address the core issue, I'd, I know this is going to sound kind of bad, but you're in for a ride. You know what I mean? Like you're going to run into so many different issues and a lot of stressful times, whether it be mealtime. So like, that's what something we talked about in the last podcast we're feeding or from, you know, getting your child ready for school. You know, you can eat up an hour, but that hour will seem like two hours, three hours, just because your child is fighting you in terms of trying to get their t-shirt on. And if you don't understand those sensory issues or you're not working with a professional to be able to address those sensory issues, uh, mm-hmm it's a very huge detriment it, like from what you were, what you were explaining uh, to that right. child's life more so your life as a parent so yeah long story yeah. short consult with a no tea <laughs> <laughs> yeah i think those are all like the hidden pieces that a lot of people just don't realize yeah you know like you just see you see the issue for what it is on the surface but then a lot of times it's it just goes a lot deeper and it, there's a lot of underlying foundational skills that can be addressed <laughs> to help that skill that you are working towards. Definitely. And it's only like one part of the battle to be able to address those things, but to be able to work through them, like you, you said it throughout this podcast, it will take time. You, you can figure right. out the root cause behind something. You can figure out this is a sensory issue. Just because you figured it out doesn't mean it's going to be an easy path either to be <laughs> no, able to solve. Definitely not. Well, yeah, and I always tell parents a lot about consistency, you know, and it's, it's, it's trial and error too. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's, 
it's just something that will will have to be addressed you know over and <laughs> over again and a lot of times also my a large part of my job is just parent education and Interesting. getting getting buy-in from parents um mm-hmm. like just you know how it's really how to make the parents lives easier <laughs> yeah <laughs> that's how definitely. i can get the most buy-in because that's at the end of the day that's what we want we yeah. want the child to be participating especially in ei the whole point of it is to participate in daily routines yes and just yeah see i, I love that you know and i think that's something which i really want to communicate on this podcast to all the parents listening you know OTs work on these certain activities to make not only your child's life easier as they start to progress into a world which wasn't developed or designed for them. That's just the reality of it, but also make it easier for you. So I just want to be able to summarize almost. I know we talked about and we touched uh, upon the ideas of heavy work and messy play, but just to put it into that light of how these things will actually benefit the parent, what exactly do these activities help develop and how does that really trickle into how a parent's life will be made a lot more easier, if that makes sense. Yeah, that does. And um, I think that, that goes back to what we were talking about earlier. A child gets, they learn about their worlds by using their senses. Yes. And um, just by using messy play and um, the body awareness activities, I think that um, it really helps a child get the information that they, that they need from the world and to learn that, you know, these sensations are safe. And they're not—they're mm. not—they're um, not a reason for them to be having a meltdown. And it's—it's—it's—we um, just want um, to help kids get used to the sensations and helping yes. them with um, what we were talking about, with like dressing and bathing, mm-hmm. um, and those feeding difficulties. Like we want—the goal is that we get these kids used to these sensations, that, so that they're feeling um, safe when they are when they are, um, when, they, when they have to like do something that's uncomfortable for them previously. Definitely. I'm just wondering, uh, this is just a side tangent question. Are your sensory processes in a sense like non-discriminatory? So if you're able to develop a sensory process in one area of your life, that will have a benefit in another area where that sensory process is also being, you know, um, I guess, being brought to light or is being activated, quote unquote. So if I'm able to desensitize or, you know, uh, better interpret, you know, oral sensory um, sensations, right? Would that be able to help my child not only in their feeding and eating? um, uh, Yeah, in the feeding and eating occupation and space? I don't know if that makes sense. Yeah, I was, I was just thinking about um, what you were asking. Mm-hmm. Um, I think, I mean, oral sensory, that, that definitely does, like, if you think about speech development, that really does play a huge part of it, too. Yeah. Um, and I'm sure a speech therapists would have more expertise on this than I would, but yeah. a lot of it, like, speech is a very fine motor skill. Like, it's your mouth ah, and your yeah. tongue all working together to produce those sounds. Mm-hmm. So I think sometimes that's where that sensory piece really does come in very useful. Um, that you're strengthening all of those muscles as well for feeding, mm-hmm. even for like the motor challenges of eating, like the chewing and the swallowing. Interesting. Okay. Wow. Yeah. Everything is very interrelated. It's really hard to <laughs> yeah, tease different systems apart. No, definitely. And I, I wish, you know, hopefully we can shoot more podcasts because there's so many different topics which kind of came up from this conversation, which I feel mm-hmm. apparently needs to understand. But some, before we wrap up this podcast, I also want to tell parents out there, especially 
now that teletherapy is becoming a thing and parents are being forced to work from home and also parent their child, mm-hmm. everybody's routine's being flipped on its head. And I feel there's a lot more pressure on parents to become OTs and teachers on top of parents, on top of being parents. I do always emphasize with parents, it's a hard job for all the parents out there that's listening. You know, it's you're balancing the parenting role, the OT, PT, speech, like all of the specialty roles, too, that we have had a lot of years to train for. And all of a sudden, Mm -hmm. it's just all getting dumped onto them. And it's it's really stressful. and It's challenging. And I do applaud all the parents who are doing their best. Definitely. It's, it's not an easy job. No, and it definitely yeah. isn't an easy job being an OT either. So like kudos to you guys for, <laughs> you know, dealing with I children. Mean, we love it though. It's like a puzzle for us. You know, it's that problem solving the analytical piece that it's every day is a different day. <laughs> no, definitely. It's just, I don't know. Everybody needs to have buy-in. Everybody needs to really push so that the child doesn't fall behind. You know what I mean? Like that's the whole reason why we do these things just to make it a bit more accessible and equitable for our children out there of who might have sensory issues or developmental delays, whatever it may be. And I, I think keeping that in mind and understanding like what the end goal of an OT is and more so having OTs understand what the end goal of the parent is, it's right. so important, especially nowadays. And that, I, don't, I don't know. I just want to throw that in just because I know a lot of parents out there are being very, very stressed out, you know, and a lot of parents are being experiencing burnout, right. um, yeah. but they can't escape because you're stuck at home and I really feel for you guys. Mm-hmm. And, and that's why a yeah. lot of times we do provide sometimes like our teletherapy sessions become venting sessions <laughs> for the <laughs> parents. And that's totally okay with me. And mm-hmm. a lot of times I do give parents strategies for self-care themselves. And, you know, um, there's, I saw that there was another podcast and a, a visual about like occupational balance for parents as well. Yeah. You know, it's, it's important. <laughs> yeah. It's important to take care of themselves it's yeah it's stressful and you know you can only be you can only give your best when you are feeling your best so, definitely yeah it's weird that that kind of came up I know like we're nearing the end of this podcast but I didn't know that self-care was an occupation in itself like it falls under that whole talk of introception what you were talking about in the beginning mm-hmm. because once you can figure out like what's off in you you're able to address it so that your equilibrium within your body physically isn't affecting you mentally And now you're able to regulate those physical sensations because you're actively able to and physically able to address them, whatever it may be, like getting exercise or I don't know. Mm -hmm. And I've told parents that before, if it's a a household with multiple caregivers or someone going to just take the child for 15 minutes or however long it may be, just taking it like a step outside, taking a breather. Because sometimes like those, like what I was talking about before, those behavior issues, they just become a power struggle. And sometimes you just need to walk away. And I think I've I've told parents that and just... Letting, letting them know that it's okay. You know, it's okay to be tired. It's okay to be frustrated. We're only human. Actually, though, yeah. Yeah, so I, it's, that's really important for parents to understand. Damn. Just thank you so much for that. Yeah. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> no, like, I'm saying thank you on behalf of all the parents of whom are listening, but I feel like that's just a good reminder to have and a very good note to end off this podcast. But anyways, thank you so much for tuning in. Thank you so much for talking to me and, you know, sharing your insights with all the parents out there, too you know, get a better grasp on and keep a better eye on uh, what are the sensory issues which exist within your child and how exactly can you address them, you know, especially nowadays, just because I think, I get it, we're all being bombarded with information, but this was just a very holistic conversation to have. And I think it was just very much needed for the community. So thank you so much, Lydia. Yeah, of course. Thank you, Mark. (laughs) Awesome. So before we wrap this up, I just wanted to give you guys a few pieces of information. If you want to learn more and you want to 
you know, stay up to date with any new activities you can, you can implement at home. I'm pretty sure you have a few on your Instagram, correct? Yes, I do. It's, yeah, so, it's a new passion for me, just <laughs> household items. <laughs> Definitely. Like whether it's toilet paper rolls or I don't even know. I think we have a lot of those. Toilet paper roll. I mean, Actually, yeah, I just though. find household items. You know, I'll be posting more about how to use a whisk at home and how to oh use, my gosh. use that for a fine motor activity. So. <laughs> so if you want to stay up to date with that, be sure to give her a follow. That's at OT live. So that's OT underscore live. Is, is that your Instagram handle? I just want to make sure I'm saying the I'm right. Sorry, you froze. You froze there for a little bit. Oh, okay. You repeat what you said. Yeah, for sure. So I just wanted to ask, like, well, what's your Instagram handle? Just so we can give a little shameless plug into all the parents. <laughs> <laughs> it's at OT underscore live. OT underscore live. So there you go. So be sure to give her a follow, uh, like all of her uh, content or give it a save just, just in case you need to give your child another sensory break and really enrich their sensory diets. But anyways, that's pretty much all for me. Uh, thank you so much for tuning in, guys. This is Sensory Corner. My name is Mark. Peace out. You've just been tuned in to The Sensory Corner, a podcast surrounding all things sensory, parenting, and occupation related. This podcast is being brought to you by Senso Minds. Senso Minds is dedicated to designing and creating new sensory kits and sensory toys for your child to gain the stimulation they need in order to better integrate into the world around them. If you like what you hear, make sure you give us a follow on our Instagram and social media handles. Just search us up on Facebook or Instagram at Senso Minds, S-E-N-S-O-M-I-N-D-S. Also, if you liked what you hear and want to keep tuning in, make sure you leave us a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts if that's where you're listening from. It really does help us reach a larger audience and help more parents out there. Thank you so much. This is Mark signing off. Goodbye.